Let's go, Juan Carlos. He's looking at me going, what are you doing, man? You're just rambling. Which is not wrong. Not wrong. Hey, everybody. I'm Kai Rosdahl. Welcome back to Make Me Smart. Where, what do we do here? Oh, yes, we make today make sense. I'm Kimberly Adams. Thank you, everyone, for joining us on this Thursday, February the 15th. Hope you survived Valentine's Day, all right? Uh, I did. I did. Thanks for asking. Good. Uh, All right. So, did you? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. It was all Excellent. good. Excellent. Uh, Thursday, uh, audio uh, of major stories of the week. We will play them and talk about them. Here we go. Uber has proven time and time again that they're putting profits over people, right? In shareholder meetings, they discuss profits. There's no question about safety, protection from deactivation, or compensation. Drivers have been losing money for years in, in an attempt to support some way of life. You or me? You go ahead. All right. So that was an Uber driver named Jocelyn Floyd uh, talking to a reporter from uh, the Associated Press with a group of drivers outside uh, O'Hare Airport in Chicago who were on, uh, I don't know if you're going to call it a strike because they're not technically employees, blah, 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 but a work stoppage, shall we say, uh, mm-hmm. because groups of drivers across uh, Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and, and all the other, you know, sort of um, app-based driver and delivery companies refused to give drives for part of the day in major cities across the country, protesting, of course, low wages, um, safety concerns, uh, and having their accounts unfairly suspended or deactivated, as has happened if they um, protesteth too much, I imagine, or some other things. Um, it's I, This is the perennial struggle now between... Are you a contractor or are you an actual employee? And do you get the benefits that come with being an actual employee? And and they're trying to raise the visibility on that issue. You know, and it makes such a difference in terms of the benefits you have access to and the profitability of these companies. Because um, there's a another company, another rideshare company that operates here and in L.A. and in a couple of other cities called Alto. And their shtick was that their drivers are salaried or at least hourly employees with mm-hmm. benefits, with time off and all these things. And I just got an email this week that they're shutting down operations in D.C. Hmm. And just as of I think as of Sunday, they're shutting down. And it was just like it was a much it was a more expensive service for sure. The hours were not as available. I mean, it was nice, but like this whole when you're competing against the prices of a company that isn't paying benefits, right. that isn't paying, right. you know, hourly wages, regardless of what kind of rides you get. It's it's a tough market. And so, yeah, yeah. it makes sense. Totally. Totally. All right. Uh, next clip. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> I stepped all over you. Chiefs are nice. That's okay. Two great quarterbacks. Hard to decide. But if I didn't say I was for the Eagles, then I'd be sleeping alone. My wife's a Philly girl. Game or commercials? Game. Game or halftime show? Game. Jason Kelsey or Travis Kelsey? Mama Kelsey. I understand she makes great chocolate chip cookies. Deviously plotting to rake the season so the Chiefs would make the Super Bowl or the Chiefs just being a good football team? I'm getting in trouble if I told you. Trump or Biden? Are you kidding? <laughs> Biden. So uh, if you hadn't seen it yet, that was President Biden's very first TikTok. It was posted on Super Bowl Sunday. And the video's caption says, LOL, hey guys. 
Um, the Biden campaign has broken down like everybody else and joined TikTok, attempting to connect to younger voters who are uh, particularly upset with him at the moment over a variety of things, uh, perceived uh, inaction in the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, um, climate change, uh, generally not a fan of his age and this whole narrative of people not stepping aside to make space for younger generations, et cetera, et cetera. But the White House has go- went ahead and decided to make their foray into TikTok and the posts are kind of leaning into the memes uh, around dark Brandon, showing Biden telling jokes, talking about the dangers, uh, according to them, of a Trump re-election. Now, it's fascinating because we spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about all of the efforts of the federal and state governments to ban TikTok or to get people to stop using it. And it's banned from a lot of government devices. So I'm curious how they're managing it. Um, and, you know, a lot of lawmakers have raised serious national security concerns over the this account's launch because TikTok parent company's ByteDance has this weird relationship with the Chinese government. And so it's fascinating that, you know, from a policy perspective, the White House and a lot of Democrats, especially the more security-minded ones, are saying TikTok is bad and it's bad for kids because it's addictive. It's a bad for, you know, individual security because it's like hoovering up your data. Mm. Uh, and it's bad from a national security perspective for a variety of reasons. But we got to reach young voters, so we're here anyway. They probably have it on like one phone that the White House Communications Agency has like sterilized somehow and isolated. I don't even know how, because otherwise they're just opening themselves up for a ration of trouble. Shall we? Rasher, ration, rasher, both. Anyway, a lot. Yeah, Um, (laughs) but you know the (laughs) the reporting around it says that they've you know they've taken all these security protocols and I imagine they don't connect to the White House Wi-Fi and you know I'm sure there's ways to do it, but it's a little hard. Then later on, when they want to tell younger people, "Hey, you need to get off TikTok. It's not good for you." When you know. They're there. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. All right. Uh, next one. Here is a clip of a guy named Andy Bear. He works for a company called Coindesk Indices. That's a crypto research group. He was on CNBC the other day talking about the price of Bitcoin reaching a two-year high this week. I will tell you now, as we speak, it's even higher than it was when Bear went on CNBC. Here you go. We're certainly excited to see Bitcoin uh, scrape through $52,000 for the first time since, wow, since December 2021, which in crypto years is is quite a long time ago. Uh, To think that um, only 16, 17 months ago, we were dealing with uh, FTX kind of melting down and the market sort of in complete disarray. So, number one. Would you take your paycheck in Bitcoin? Ask yourself that question as you listen to what else is going on here. So Bitcoin, again, at $52,000. As we speak, it's $52,048. Six months ago, it was a 25 ish So it's been quite the bump. Here's what uh, CNBC and, and some others report about uh, that Bitcoin price rise. So you might remember, and I talked about this you know, a month ago, ish uh that the mm-hmm. Securities and Exchange Commission had approved spit spit spot bitcoin <laughs> ETFs which is to say you can now own a fund that trades on regular exchanges like a stock in which the underlying asset is bitcoin and now apparently 
those un- those spot Bitcoin ETFs own three and a half percent of all Bitcoin that are out there. Right. There are more being minted and we can get to the having and blah, 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 whatever. But as of right now, three and a half percent of all the Bitcoin that are out there are owned by these spot Bitcoin ETFs. And that is creating some demand, as you know, was predicted would happen as people try to actually get in on Bitcoin in a safer but not safe way. I'm stuck a little bit on this idea of would you take your paycheck in Bitcoin? Would you take your biweekly paycheck in stock shares? Well, it depends on what company, but no, I would take it in good old American dollars. Thank you very much. Well, I mean, so then at least the way it is right now, people who – I don't know that there's that much of a difference between taking, you know, just for this exercise, taking a paycheck in Bitcoin versus taking a paycheck in in stock shares. Either way, you have to convert it back to cash. Both of these things are speculative and have, you know, the potential to not be worth anything. Obviously, stock shares are backed by physical companies that do things, and we've had that discussion many times. But we also, you know, when FTX was collapsing and all this stuff was happening, I, I, I certainly was among the people who thought this was going to be like sort of the swan song of crypto. And yet here we are. And so I just I, I don't know what to think about it. Like, well, I still am not super <laughs> jazzed about it for my own money, but I don't want to dismiss the fact that it has rebounded in a way that I didn't think it was going to. And it could the the same things that drove it from twenty six six months ago to fifty two today could drive it mm-hmm. from fifty two today to twenty six tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? This is true. And and I don't understand your connection between the share price of an actual company that does something and produces goods of value. And mm-hmm. a, an instrument that is, number one, make-believe, number two, deeply, deeply speculative, and number three, manipulated by people who have huge, outstanding, proportional shares of the Bitcoin market. The only connection I'm making there is just in terms of its liquidity at the moment in terms of getting your money, not in terms of like a strategy, a long-term investment strategy, but in terms of like getting your biweekly paycheck right now, you could get stock shares or Bitcoin, and it would take you probably roughly the same amount of effort to convert that into, you know, cash because of, you know, these ETFs and things like that. That's that's the only comparison I'm making there. A stronger criticism is the one that Gary Gensler was making in um, an interview he was doing, I think, with CNBC, which is just talking about, you know, how much it's used for criminal enterprises. There's all these human trafficking and and child exploitation crimes that, you know, the briefs for it include all of these references to how these transactions are handled in cryptocurrencies and, you know, that lack of transparency and that ability to get around uh, traditional regulation does make it, you know, more likely to be used for criminal activities as well. Yep. Yeah. Sure does. All right. One last clip for the day. This ain't Texas. Ain't no hold'em. So lay our cards down, 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 down. So pocket Lexus. And throw your keys up. Stick around, round, 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 round. 
So if you've been on the internet, you know that that was a clip from Beyonce's uh, new country song called Texas Hold'em. Uh, during a Verizon ad that aired during the Super Bowl, Beyonce announced that new music was coming and then dropped these two singles, Texas Hold'em and 16 Carriages. And, you know, they're country. They're 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 fun. They're they're interesting. It'll be fascinating to see. I doubt it's going to be Little Nas X all over again, but um, country has not traditionally been so welcoming in the modern era to a lot of black artists trying to cross over from pop into that space. But one of the things that is being highlighted quite a bit with this release is that Beyonce is trying to highlight country music's black roots. And she collaborated on um, that Texas Hold'em song with a black, you know, with notable black country and folk artists, including Rhinon Giddens, uh, who plays the banjo and the viola on that track you just heard. And a lot of these music experts are expecting this album to sort of bring attention to black artistry in the genre and, and the cultural roots of country music. And it will be fascinating to see how that is received. That cowboy hat she wore at the Grammys was a little bit of foreshadowing, I guess. Oh, yeah, that's right? true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And then she had the cowboy hat at the in New York Fashion Week and all these many cowboy hats. But I also I think it's a nice little shout out to to Texas where she's from. So hmm. Yay, music. <laughs> I'm so out of it with pop culture. I've, I've already seen all these people on social media making up dances to it, so I'll be curious when the video comes out what dance actually goes with mm-hmm. it compared to what people have made up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you listened to either of these songs yet? I have not. That was the first I heard it. I, I don't mind it. I think it's kind of good. And it, it, could, it could totally be another little Nas X. Totally could be. You could yeah. see it. Could totally see yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That is it for today. Please join us tomorrow for Economics on Tap. The YouTube live stream is going to start at 3.30 Pacific, 6.30 Eastern. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Juan Carlos Torado is on the other side of the glass from me today. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Filia Menchaca is our intern. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. <laughs>